Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoteric Nerd Podcast, Episode 13, in which I interview Jeff Trosper about his teacher, Andrew DePassano. But first, let's check in with our friend Drew. How's it going, Drew? <laughs> Pretty good. So, uh, happy birthday, by the way, belated. Thank you very much. I have a segment here on the Esoterra Nerd called The Real Rosen <laughs> in which we talk about uh, the history of the Rosicrucian Order. Now, of course, the three manifestations that I know of at the present time are the Society Rosicruciana in Anglia, then there's the uh, Rosé Roubaix at Ore Crucis, which is basically in any traditional Golden Dawn order, when you reach the grade of 5 equals 6, then you're considered a member of the Rosé Roubaix at Ore Crucis. And there's one or two people out there debating about whether or not they're allowed to have the copyright to that, which they're not. And then there's uh, AMORC, the Ancient and Mystical Order Rosé Crucis, up in uh, San Jose. And you are a member of that, are you not? Five six years ago, um, when I was living in that area, I was uh, I was an officer there in the Grand Temple and an employee, and I was fully gung ho for that period of time. And was what, what was that like? Because I see the pictures and it looks beautiful. I haven't had the privilege of going to the museum yet or checking it out. It, it is a gem. Yeah, you have got to go visit that at some point. And there's definitely an energy, you know, and it's it's deep rooted there. It's been there for a long time, so. Yeah, it has an atmosphere that is really, really nice. Um, whether you're a member or not, you can go there and and just this, you know, the symbolism that's everywhere and the the plants and it's just the vibe. It's all good. Yeah, but I'm, the museum definitely worth a visit if you want to see some mummies or you want to see some stuff from uh, some well-known pharaohs and all that. It's a great place to do that. These days, though, you're up in Idaho, right? Uh, I'm in Colorado right now. Oh, which part of Colorado? Well, outside of Denver, it's actually Breckenridge. There's two temples in Denver. Yeah, I, I, I connected with one of them, um, the Colorado Golden Dawn. I don't know. If Is it Sean? Yeah, Sean. Yeah, cool. I'm glad you guys are in touch. I, he's actually been on the uh, Esoteric Nerd podcast already. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I didn't get a chance to talk to him a lot because he was doing an alchemy class. And yeah, I yeah. That in. But uh, I knew that you guys would know each other. Well, if that isn't my wife, Honored Soar FSM on the other line, because that's what we call each other around the house. Hello? Hey. Hey, are you both there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh. You, this is Drew and I. Oh, hey, Drew. Can Drew hear me? Hey. Yeah. How are you doing? Good. Are you guys doing a podcast? Drew's in Colorado. He's already in touch with that guy in Colorado that I interviewed uh, the other day. Oh my god! Isn't that crazy? Small That's world. So cool, yeah. Wow, yeah. I love the small community. It's nice. Very cool, very cool. And our our uh, our mutual friend ICL is somewhere in town. Is that right? Apparently, oh. they actually meet up with him once a year, and they're talking about doing a joint class. Well, wow, that's great. I'm gonna finally get to meet uh, Frater ICL. <laughs> you haven't met him in person. No, I've never met him. Oh, you always struck me as uh, two, you know, similar similar type of person, both very very serious about the work. Well, I hope that's true. 
Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, serious to a fault, you know, like we, we talk about esoteric nerds, you know, like people who take D&D way too seriously. Like I like to, you know, make it a little bit light because sometimes people in our work, you know, get to take it really, really heavy and seriously. And so I like to kind of poke a little fun and say, you know, you know, you're just a bit of a nerd, right? <laughs> That's why we love you, Edward. <laughs> the subject of tonight's episode is my father's teacher, Andrew DePassano. Andrew DePassano was founder and instructor at the Temple of Esoteric Science, which was his house in Hollywood Hills. In the early 1980s, especially 1983 through 1987, uh, my dad worked closely with Andrew DePassano, and he also taught me much of what Andrew taught him. So, around 2012, I ended up uh, in a Facebook group full of his students that had all found each other after all these years. This is sure to be the first of several Esoteric Nerd episodes specifically focusing on Andrew DePassano and his life and teachings. And so, without further ado, let's get to that interview, shall we? brother welcome to the esoteric nerd podcast thank you thank you very much you're very very welcome your name was uh, jeff troster right trosper yeah and you were a student of andrew de Passano. yes yes i was a student from like 89 to 90 through 93 my interest is that my my dad was a, a student of his and he taught me when i was very young to meditate Om ah hum, and he had Tibetan bells. Yeah, yeah, with the the and the awin and the o and the ah and the hung and the e and and uh, to the north and to the south. So I mean, I I that that was basically sure. my personal kind of spiritual center, and that I uh, I I lost because I forgot about it, and my dad died, and so one day a, a couple years ago I went to that reunion of students of Andrew de Passano, and I, I talked to another Jeff, uh, and he reminded me the words. And since then, I've uh, oh, yeah, brought the yeah. practice back, and it's been really great having, uh, having that back into my life. So I only met Andrew once. I was, I was seven years old when I met him. And, oh, wow. uh, so I'm yeah, reaching out yeah. to people who knew him so I can find out more about him and more about his teachings and, uh, and, and let the world know more about him because, you know, he's not one of the largely Googled uh, authors or, or, or teachers, uh, but I think that he had a lot to offer. Oh, no, he was, a, he was a teacher ahead of his time. He combined the Eastern and Western esoteric traditions. Not that many uh, high beings in any period have pulled that off. Right. Um, you know, the Theosophists, they had a, a little bit of um, influence from the East, but they didn't really grasp it well. Andrew knew a lot of the uh, Indian and Tibetan he had traveled uh, type there, right? of teachings and meditations, which he added to his, uh, you know, Western esoteric uh, upbringing. His his teacher, um, Castellani. Is that the Secretariat of the Italian Chapter of the Theosophical Society? Um, I do. I don't think that they're specifically identified as a theosophical um, 
offshoot, although clearly they were influenced. And uh, Castellani, he he did bring in um, a number of the you know Western occult traditions, such as the ones that can be found in, um, say, the Secret Teachings of All Ages, right? And with the Hall and so on. So, uh, yeah, there it was clearly a, a combination, and so that that alone is is unique. You won't find that um, basically in any of the traditions. Right. Uh, to have so much of a fusion of Eastern and Western uh, continuity. He talked a lot and, about the astral plane. Well, sure, everybody does. You could find that in, in most of the Western esoteric traditions. Right. Um, More so, though. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you find that even in, uh, in uh, Yogananda's, Paramahansa Yogananda's. Uh, mm-hmm autobiography he you know talks about the physical the astral and the causal or mental right. uh, planes being the main divisions uh, oh like the, the veils universe. the the five um, veils well there, whether you say there's seven or five or three or right. whatever <laughs> yeah depending on the tradition yeah, yeah yeah and the egyptians had like 12 or more or whatever but um Probably the three main ones would be easiest to try and divide the universe, the, the manifest universe, into the physical, the astral, or dream, um, you know, visualization, creative imagery, daydreaming, all of that. The arts would all right yeah, history into that, and then the causal or mental plane would be the higher, more. Um, you know the original highest thinking, the um, maybe the philosophic mercury. The, the I uh, what? Say, say again. Oh, I was thinking maybe the philosophic mercury could. Oh, uh... Uh, sure, sure. Um, yes, uh, Hermes, uh, Trismegistus, Toth, and the, and the mercury tradition of the higher wisdom and that kind of thing. Yeah. The perennial, perennial philosophy. And, and he had a bit of influence from a Colombian shaman? Um, I don't recall that part vividly. Okay. Um, he, I know that he did go, he made a few trips to Mexico, including uh, Yucatan, Mexico. He had some, some shamanic type of... Uh, influences and experiences but i i'm not sure that the you know the the don juan type of tradition uh or or mayan philosophical inheritance was a a huge part of his teaching okay okay. but he liked to he liked to add yeah to reach out beyond the limits of what he already knew right Right. I, I I recall something about he was working with a particular kind of agave plant, but uh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know if anybody knew that story because at the yeah. reunion a lot of people would remember part of a story and then ask anybody, and there'd be crickets, and then we'd move on to the yeah, next. Sure, <laughs> sure. Well, he he was extremely eclectic. That was his gift. Mm. You know, uh, I'm an astrologer, and I did his chart, and he had uh, he was born in St. Petersburg. In 1905, hmm. I don't know if you know this. Uh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, no, he um, and he 
was born right on the cusp of Scorpio and Sagittarius. He had like he had like three houses in Sag, as well as his son was at zero degrees of Sag. So he had a philosophical inclination, hmm. uh, you know, higher learning, eclectic, you know, reverence for other traditions and cultures and so forth beyond uh, the norm. Of course, he was Italian, born in, in Russia. His, um, his father was actually heir to the duchy of, of, of I believe it was Genoa. Huh. Well, of course, Garibaldi had, uh, you know, brought... Uh, about independence and and the country had been transformed into a republic. So he, they, the old um, right, the it was uh, in was yeah. didn't, didn't couldn't really inherit. I, I have a friend who's a Luciani who uh, who hasn't much but the name and the certificate saying she's nobility. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Oh no, it's interesting and it's kind of a it's a classic part of of occult tradition. They call them the black nobility. Um, meaning um, the black part, meaning more like hidden, mysterious, right. occult, and not not very visible. But the black nobility still, according to some uh, conspiracy uh, theorists, have have uh, influence throughout um, various levels of, of you know banking and Makes finance yeah. and you have money, you have Bilderberg sure. groups and trilateral commission and all that. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Andrew's father, although he didn't, he certainly was not a pauper by any means. He had a lot of money, and he got into the arms industry oh. and moved to the, uh, when he moved to Russia, Tsarist Russia. Mm. And um, so he might have helped uh, a little bit with the revolution. Yeah, no, I, I, he, but being on the other side. Oh, I tried yeah, to put no, down the revolution. The white. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, they supported the whites, and uh, uh, clearly enough, he, of course, he had to flee when the revolution came. That's where I'm. I'm pretty sure I was a redcoat general in a past life, so I know how that is. You know, <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> ending up on the wrong side of history. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, that is funny. It reminds me of that of that show, Pole Dark, where in the very first episode, because he he was a, a redcoat officer in the mm-hmm. Revolution Revolutionary War. When he comes back, one of the British aristocrats said, "How could you have let that happen?" And he said, "Well, we were fighting on the wrong side." <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, you know, because Poldark was a romantic, uh, revolutionary type of guy. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I anyway. did a lot of research on this guy, just not to get too far off track, but oh, sure, you know, yeah. but uh, but you know, assuming you know whoever, whether it was me or not, uh, this guy, uh, this particular guy named Charles, who had a, a title, and he got a letter in the mail from the king saying, "Guess what? You get to go down to the pub, get two hundred men, buy a boat, meet us in Jamaica, await further instructions." And then he ends up a little bit later being a general in one of the battles in the Revolutionary War. So he doesn't give a fuck. He's just like annoyed that he's not having tea at home, you know. And uh, so meanwhile, you have the people who are really, really, really serious about fighting. They're on their homeland. This is like a really serious thing for them. And, and uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the odds were... Oh, no, the British weren't really into the Revolutionary yeah, War. Yeah, they were just sort of doing As their a matter thing. of fact, uh, the, 
I forget which British general um, claimed that um, they weren't really all that interested in the uh, the North American phase of the conflict at all. Hmm. He said that uh, the entire the entirety of North America was not worth one sugar island, <sighs> meaning of course the, the Caribbean. That's where the real money was, hmm. and North America was a side story. There were a few furs involved and some tobacco, <laughs> but it wasn't financially. Uh, a gold mine like the Caribbean was. Yeah. So we were a kind of a side story, and the French, the French came in eventually and made sure that we lost that, because this was an ongoing battle which lasted through the Seven Years' War, the Revolutionary War, and on into the Napoleonic Wars. It lasted a long time. This endless conflict between the British and French. Right. Which then kind of prompted a lot Which of the then, revolutions and, and right, and then communism the, and the Red Scare. Right, exactly. Right, Here we are. Right, <laughs> yeah. Right, right. But but uh, anyway, Andrew was hit deep in that. He was yeah. um, he he because of his aristocratic uh, upbringing and being involved in the the arms trade and so forth. He supported uh, Mussolini, and he didn't really know, uh, didn't really discover himself until um, it was during the war, and he realized that he was going to have to change sides. They were going to lose, and he and his occult tradition was really coming together for him. And it was only then that he, uh, you know, came into his own. Was after the war. Interesting. And he moved to Mexico and married uh, Virginia and and so forth but um that was that was when he really came into his own he was he was a product up till then he was more of a product of just his cultural inheritance of being one of the bastions of uh, you know of reactionary power and so forth i uh i have a friend who once upon a time um well i have several friends who once upon a time were were youngsters in uh, on Sunset Boulevard working at a place called the Source Restaurant, and uh, yeah, sure, sure, famous, a, a few of them remember Andrew De Pisano really well. Uh huh. Apparently, yeah. he was around. Well, Andrew, long before that, I came. You know, I came in '89. Mm-hmm. He died in '93 uh, when I was a student, but. Um, Long before that, you know, the early 80s, I guess late 70s maybe also, he was giving, um, you know, five classes a week. He right, that was my dad. In 1983, my dad was going to those classes. Oh, and right, he was teaching yeah. me what he learned. But I was five, oh, so yeah. I was I was just getting the five-year-old version. <laughs> oh, wow, that's still pretty impressive. To yeah, there's stuff. another one who was seven at the time, and apparently she used to hang out at those meetings. And uh, oh. I only went to one of them, so I do remember the the place in the Hollywood Hills. Right, right. I remember he said, "You have a very bright papa." Oh, no kidding! Wow, <laughs> interesting. That's yeah. great. Wow. Well, you, do you have those books? There are collections. I think I have some around somewhere. I would have hmm. to research, but that, that collects some of the teachings and techniques. Mm-hmm. There are, do you have any of those? I don't. Jacana, she has some, huh? She has uh, some tapes, and she's going to dig those uh, up, and then I'm going to no, convert No, tapes them. are great. I have some tapes also, yeah. but 
I think you transcribed uh, one of the tapes, and I, I put it up on a website. I'm Pymander Aquarian is one of my names. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, no, it's great. I, to, to resurrect the, the techniques and, and, and concepts would be great. Yeah. Because he, he was, you know, his ideas were very original and, and quite a contribution. Not too many, you know, as brilliant as uh, Manly P. Hall uh, was, he didn't have a, um, you know, he, he, he didn't have a, a collection of techniques, practical techniques. Right. You know, the he was like bringing in the information, kind of. Right. It was more just teaching you the perennial philosophy, which is a, which is fine and everything, but it it doesn't uh, it doesn't have as transformative of an effect. Right. Um. Yeah. No. Let me see if I can find those. I'm probably going to do several Andrew DePassano episodes on the podcast, so I'll probably call this. Andrew DePassano part one, and then uh, and then I'll get some some of the interviews. I'll find some of the highlights. You could uh, you could resurrect it for sure. That would be a great that would be a great contribution for people. Yeah, he yeah, talked a lot about nice. compassion. Yes, he. I remember one thing he said, which was which stuck with me was that uh, treat. Other people's feelings, like they were made of the finest crystal. That was a, a touching um, statement. I, yeah. I had, you know, never heard it put quite that way. And uh, you know, considering uh, the Pope um, and his message of compassion right now, and uh, right. of course, you know, the Dalai Lama and, and the Bodhisattva's of compassion. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So. Um, there, there is a, uh, there is a clear continuity there, of trying to find the balance, like the Tibetans always talked about, of wisdom and compassion. Right. Um, so, uh, no, did you ever hear about some of the various visualization techniques and? If I did, I've probably forgotten. I'd be, I'd, I'd love to hear, uh, you know, anything you'd like to share. Um, I don't know if I, if I, well, I wouldn't dare to try and teach these things anymore. Maybe just there like, was a thing called the mate meditation. I remember that one. I did that one for a while. Mate, M A D E. M A T E, okay. like where you would visualize somebody to come to you. Um, uh, you know, when I find these these things. Um, It'll probably have the, the accurate version, but you're supposed to visualize the person coming to you, uh, but in shadow, so you couldn't see your, their face. You weren't supposed to visualize um, what they were supposed to look like, because you'd only mess it up. Mm. That's the theory. Um, because we always visualize a lot of the wrong things. That we're supposed to emote uh the feeling of what we're trying you know the highest uh communion the the finest aspects of of love and cooperation or whatever that uh, you know the person's supposed to have and then you visualize them slowly coming towards you with sort of light behind them so that you couldn't see exactly what they looked like and then you would kind of merge with them when they Finally, they would come from a, a distance and then gradually come into your um, 
your area. Anyway, that, so that was really an abbreviated version of it, but that's the kind of, um, he had a number of these techniques. So was that intended to unite you with your own inner uh, well, now that that it would like in Jungian terms, that that's another uh, concept uh, that would be perhaps involved. But this was specifically to actually bring a person. Okay. But but the fact that it would bring like for a guy the the anima. The anima, yeah. Yeah, you know, if the anima came to you, it would certainly be easier uh, to find a mate. To find a, you know, physical manifestation of right. that, and so right. forth. So, uh, but he had a lot of interesting techniques. He had us, you know, um, he had us visualize meetings with other beings and so forth. Mm-hmm. For a while, he had us um, connecting with uh, alien and deity type of of beings that we would write down. I have those somewhere. <laughs> I still have those. It was a fabulous collection, and I, since I write, uh, you know, mythological fantasy, mm. I, I should probably refer to, to some of those that as would probably help my work. My dad but, had um, two puppets that Andrew gave him. One was blue and one was yellow, and they both had long white beards. And uh, really? with, with the instruction to put them up in a high place and forget about them. Wow. And my dad, I think at one point, they ended up being mine when my dad passed away, but that was 1993, and I don't know where they are. Oh, that's funny. My mother died in 93. Yeah, I guess that was a year for... Yeah, and Andrew died that same year. Oh, he did in 1993? Yes. Oh, my God, I didn't realize that. I believe it was in uh, July or August, yes. Okay, my dad passed away in uh, September, September 20th. Right, and my mother died in September, actually. Yeah, in September of 93. Rough year, and then Nightmare Before Christmas came out. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, (laughs) To cheer us up a bit. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I remember that was a hard year. I remember, yeah, that movie took, got my mind off it for a couple of seconds, yeah. Which, Which movie? Oh, Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, Jack Skellington. Oh, that came oh, out like a month sure. later, you I, know. So. I'd forgotten. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember right. being in a very dark place and seeing that movie and, and it, right. it, being, it being something that made me smile. So, hey, Tim Burton, if you're listening, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I love well, I love the, the this whole thing about Andrew, and I hope that I can get as much information together for my own self and for yeah. for the uh, anyone else who's interested, I know that um, uh, Zarathustra, the Aquarian, uh, he says that Andrew is the missing piece. That basically really? we've, we've, we've brought together Golden Dawn, we've brought together Tibetan Buddhism, we've brought together you know um, all of these different things, but the the element that's missing is Andrew. And so I, so well, I said, okay, I'll can, see if I can get he that. He combined well. a number of those elements. Yeah. yeah. But I guess there's wow, something, some he's, magic that he's Andrew definitely. had. Yeah. Yes. No, I think so too. Yeah, I totally agree. I yeah. think that's that's fascinating. And uh to reintroduce I remember that after he died there was like a lot of confusion because he had no successor, there was no one to you know, to do the teachings. Right. Um I wouldn't no presume to be ready. that, but I mean, at the very least, I can do my best to bring those oh, pieces sure. together. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, I mean, it was. It seemed as if we all realized that we were supposed to do it 
you know, to kind of flower on our own at that point or yeah. as much as we could and and um uh, uh and not depend on the great teacher. But uh his his works can certainly help in that process. And a number of his techniques were really were really invaluable at the time. So I'm gonna search around for those and I will make sure I know I have them somewhere. I know I kept them. It would be great, I don't know if Shakina could do it or if you would do it, but uh, to get another one of those together, I think, would be really fascinating. To look yeah, and then maybe it. we could record it. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, kind of carry through on the tradition because it's, uh, it is it is valuable. And who was the person, the Aquarius person who... Uh, uh, Zarathustra, the, Zarathustra the Aquarian? Ah, he's that is that a uh, is it, what kind of uh, is that a his Dharma name or oh right a, um, Father Yod and the Source family they all took on new names and uh, uh, they, yeah. a lot of them legally had their names changed a lot of them went back to their old names but some of them kept their their Aquarian names and kept the legacy going and, and you know they what they didn't always agree about how to keep the legacy going uh, of course but you know. Uh, but so they gave me the name Pymander the Aquarian, and so I, I uh, so that I can help carry on the legacy, you know, into future generations. And so, uh, right, right, right. But in order to do that, I uh, I gotta I gotta go do some research and find out what Andrew had to say. <laughs> right, interesting. And why did uh, did Zarathustra uh, um, the Aquarian? What was his? Um, why did he feel that the Andrew work was the crucial piece? One of these days, I will I will bring him yeah, over. Call him up and see his take take on it, and because uh, I do have the book somewhere of his of techniques. Well, here he'll hear this. Start looking for now. And then next time, let's set up a time in the future where Zarathustra and I will both give you a call, and then he can tell you what sure. he remembers. And then maybe Absolutely. if we can maybe get a few more people. Oh, and there was uh, uh, my dad had mentioned and. I think I saw a video. We we watched some of the videos at uh, the reunion. There was a uh, a public access TV show that Andrew was doing uh, in 19, uh, you know, around the late oh, 80s. Really? And uh, some people, I don't know if that was exactly when it was, but my dad made reference to it in an interview in 1990. So it'll be interesting to get those tapes as well. Yes, yes. No, this all sounds great. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll... I'll definitely participate in any way possible. I think another uh, another one of those meetings would be interesting to uh, also to disseminate some of this. Uh, you know, uh, those notebooks. I would only probably have a couple of them left. Of the there was two or three different kinds, and uh, but they could be uh, xeroxed and made more available. Uh, I th yeah, I think knowledge is meant to be shared. I, I think yeah, there's a natural, people want to yeah. know things and people want to share things, and that's because exactly. we're all one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I don't have any qualms about that. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll give you what material I have. Okay, I'm thank definitely you. Up for that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for speaking to me on the Esoteric Nerd podcast. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. And I will uh I will find that material for you.
Excellent. And then we'll meet in person. Actually, you're local here, so why don't maybe you, me, and Z, uh, Z or Z, Zarathustra, um, get sure. together, and then, then maybe we can get Enoch on the phone. He's up in Oregon, and, and we'll, have right. a great, we'll have a great episode. Sounds great. Okay. All right. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you then. Okay. I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff, for speaking with me on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast. And if anybody out there has a memory of Andrew, has an anecdote about Andrew, has some information about Andrew, please call 626-367-9254. Or you can email me at edward.c.reeb, and that's R-E-I-B. That's B as in brother at gmail.com. And uh, get in touch with me, and we'll use that information on a future episode of Very Honored Frater BT's Esoteric Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Good night.